and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today, we're going to get our uh, tinfoil hats on, and we're talking about Knock at the Cabin. I'm joined by Josh Brown. Josh, how's it going? Doing well, doing well. And we had to pull him away from uh, collecting grasshoppers. It's Daniel Lima. Daniel, what's going on? I'm very annoyed by that. Happy to be here, though. <laughs> um, Knock at the Cabin. It's the newest film from M. Night Shyamalan, his first movie since uh, 2021's old. It is uh, one of his first movies, I think. You know, I mean, Maybe he's done it before, but he hasn't adapted someone else's thing in a while. This is adapted from a, bo- a, mo- a book called The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay that came out, I believe, in uh, 2018. It stars uh, Jonathan Groff as Eric and Ben Aldridge as Andrew. They are a couple that uh, brings their daughter, Wen, to a cabin in rural Pennsylvania, somewhere outside of Philadelphia, as a lot of M. Night's movies are. Uh, they're there for a weekend getaway. Wen is out collecting grasshoppers when uh, a man that this happens to look like Dave Batista comes up and makes friends with her. She sees some other people kind of approaching, little gets a little creeped out, runs into the house with her dads. All these people start surrounding the house and eventually bust in and put the family in a scenario where they say, look, we're here, we've had visions that the world's going to end unless the family living in this house sacrifices one of their own. And uh, then we have to see this couple and their daughter uh, deal with this uh, precarious position they've been put in. Uh, guys, before we delve too deep in the film, uh, Daniel uh, pushed for us to reunite to do this one, noting that you are a big M. Night guy, Josh. And it was something, I mean, uh, I'd, I'd just never known about you. I'd had other people join. Uh, another, my, my friend Graham, he, he had joined for the M. Night pods in the past. Uh, and I, I just did, never even remembered you mentioning him. So I did not know he was like one of your guys because you like to talk about your guys in these parts. Can you talk a little bit about your relationship with M. Night Shyamalan's films? And if, you're, if, if your opinions on him are maybe a little bit different than average, because I think whenever people talk about him, they like to talk about the different arcs his career has had and how uh, there was at least for many a perceived dip for a long time in the middle there before uh, the visit in Split. And I'm wondering, uh, do you have more unconventional M. Night opinions if he is one of your guys? Do you see like maybe he maybe he doesn't have a dip in, in your opinion, in your mind or something like that? What, what is your relationship with his career? Like here's the thing, the slight difference between him being one of my guys and me being like a fan is that I consider myself an M. Night apologist. Um, <laughs> so like, <laughs> like I'm on board with like the sixth sense, unbreakable signs. He loses me with the village. He punches me in the face with Lady in the Water. I come back on board with the happening. And then I don't really huh. bother with uh, Last Airbender or oh, happening. That's that's top five of night for me. I've never seen any of his that have bad reviews. Like I just one that I it's just something that like I'm not as I I I, I maybe I'll become a completist before his next theatrical release, but I've just I've never really like gone out of my way to like revisit the quote unquote not good stuff. Well, see, well that's the thing. I think we all have different definitions of what's the not so good stuff when it comes to M night. They're mm-hmm. sort of the generally agreed upon, which is our last air better after, which I haven't really bothered with, right? But then when he has that comeback with the visit, I'm I'm back on board. And then like split, I was kind of split on that movie. But then Glass, I'm like that, that's 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 like performance art right there. That is what? beautiful. That is- <laughs> God, I, I was so disappointed in Glass. That that's that that is the one poorly reviewed one I have seen, and I was so let down. God, I, that's so funny that you're into it. Like again, I compare Glass to like imagine if you were like on a Walt Disney ride, like let's say the Haunted Mansion, right? And like Walt Disney wanted to make a statement about how unfulfilling theme park rides were. And to make that statement, he deliberately makes the ride break down. That is like the climax to glass. Now, 
one might be like, why am I on this right in right in the first place? Um, but I don't know. That one's an object of study. And so then old comes around and M Knight is my boy. He's on this comeback streak. You know, I, I've never rooted so hard for a director going into a movie only to be disappointed. Like like so like like I at that point I had to like question my M Night fandom. Uh like was he ever good was sort of like my thought when I saw old. Jeez. And then so when the trailer for knock on the Leaving your leaving your boy mid sized sedan out to dry like that, huh? <laughs> that was, that, again, that's the thing. Even when even when he does something like old, he gives us little gems like that. Um <laughs> A plus jokes. So the knock of the cabin comes around. I tell Daniel, I see the trailer, I'm like, you know, I know I've just been disappointed with old, right? I know I've been egg on my face right but i'm like that trailer for knock on the on the cabin he it's based off of source material he has co-screenwriters which is like my main problem with old it's just the fact that like the dialogue's really bad um i'm like all right i think this is a slam dunk i like this i get this is, i think this is going to be the I got, unanimous- a, I, I got a text message like there's no way anyone could make a bad movie and then the trailer could be that good. And I'm like, I mean, <laughs> what? Have you like, how, seen <laughs> now? I, I should point out here that I have seen like seven of Eminite's movies uh, and I don't like a single one of them. I don't like The Sixth Sense. I don't like Unbreakable. I don't like Signs. I don't like Last Airbender. I don't like After Earth. I don't like The Visit. The one exception, the one exception is Old. Old is his only good movie. It's the only one that I actually thoroughly enjoyed watching yeah, i actually saw that one with you and i didn't remember you liking it that much but i just looked oh, no, at your no, review no. I, was, I, was, I was i was still saying i was saying yeah I, no, I, I had forgot. a good time yeah. i had a good time with that one uh the, 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 the thing is like admittedly though i was having a good day i was down in west palm i was seeing someone that i you know, i was with someone i was seeing who i was really who i really liked and i'm there seeing my boy journey too like you know i was having a good ass time i was in the amc you know his you know very nice amc right across the street from him the lucky <laughs> bastard uh so yeah i was just having a really good day and so going into knock at the cabin although the trailer did also impress me i i knew the man's track record so i wasn't gonna say some goofy shit like oh there's no way it could be bad <laughs> like come on you i know you're a you're an apologist jb but come on now that being said uh i did Wait, hold up hold up hold up like m night i just want to believe i just want to have faith in something <laughs> Well, you know, in spite of me being incredulous as to JB's like, like absolute faith in this man, I went in actually kind of hopeful because of all the reasons that JB said, like he had other writers granted uh, it was like a script that then he made a pass over himself. So there's that. But, you know, he's doing a very condensed setting. It's a good sort of premise, like a home invasion sort of thriller. I was actually very interested going in yeah I, I didn't realize you were like th- that far on the other end of the spectrum from uh josh on that i mean like, and i while i did see old with you i just assumed like you would have some opinion like th- like the happening being like a masterpiece that no one appreciates. Uh, yeah that's the one i still need to get to jb assures that's, that's me that's my opinion that's he assured yeah right, it's his just, opinion. It, just, it seems more like a daniel opinion which just kind of speaks to your level of uh <laughs> you know your, your level of stan when it comes he to assures him. me that i will love the happening when i see it wait look i'm like again you know you know like how i'm here you know constantly reminding you guys never betted against james cameron mm-hmm. um if there's one person that you can you know 
on the other end of the coin bet against <laughs> it might be right. So like will I say that like he would absolutely love the happening? I don't know. I don't know. But that is that he will be intrigued by the happening. Yeah, so at the very least. Yeah, I guess I might have come to his movies a little later than most. Like, I don't think I'd seen uh, even Signs or Unbreakable, or I, I'd not seen Signs like two months ago. But I never, I had never seen Unbreakable or Six Sense probably up until like five or six years ago. And I mean, I and and I, and I like those, and then I just kind of like knew what the arc was, and I and I and I, I don't know why I skipped Signs. I feel like maybe I'd heard it was even not that it wasn't divisive in some ways, but I think I had heard it was maybe like even more divisive than it was. And there's some I thought I think there's some good stuff in Signs, but like then everything after that I just like skipped over until I until I saw Split in theaters. And I was like, and I was, or maybe I saw like Unbreakable and Sixth Sense right around when Split was coming out. I'm like, all right, I should probably like, if I have a movie podcast. I don't want people to take my opinion seriously. I should probably see an M. Night Shyamalan movie. And that's I, a crazy sentence to say out loud, Jernavoy. Come on. Yeah. I mean, but like, but, but at the same time, I was just like, I, I don't feel the need to go revisit all this bad stuff he did from between like 2002 to 2013 or whatever. Like, hey, for, for, hey, we all did bad stuff during that time period. But I was just like, eh. But like, so, but I mean, I, I, I've stuck with everything that's come out in theaters uh, since then. And like, I mean, I think I was a little, I, I think I enjoyed some things about old, but probably didn't, not on the whole as much as Daniel did. And I, but I really love Split and was very let down by Glass. And I was like, all right, whatever. I'm going to see this. It is a very good trailer. So yeah, I guess I came into it with like, be, be prepared for anything just because I know how all, all over the map he was. And I have seen a couple of the not so good things, even if I did go back and I did the visit and I did signs in preparation for this. I, I got to say, like, I think if nothing else, it's like really entertaining. I think there's plenty to discuss as far as like everything he goes for and if everything lands on the end. But like, let me ask Josh, like for like what you wanted from when you, what you, what you were expecting from when you got out of the trailer, it seems like you'd like obviously built up pretty high expectations and I'm, and I, and and I'm wondering, like, did, did did M Night come through based on like what you had built up in your head when you saw that trailer that excited you so? First off, let me just tell you like why like M Night is one that I stick up for, right? And why you know I had high expectations, right? Sure. I think you know for all the crap he gets, right? I think he is a great formal visualist, right? I think there's very, especially in old a movie I don't like. I think there's a lot of striking imagery in the way he moves the camera that. It, it is generally impressive, right? And so with Knock at the Cabin, with the first 20 minutes, I think it's formally effective. I think, like, those, like, the opening minutes of the movie get the old Universal logo, and then right in, you are with these, like, really great Zoom shots, close-ups of his, his actors. And that's the other thing I really like about M. Night Shyamalan throughout his career, whether it's Bruce Willis and Haley Joel Osment and Sixth Sense or Mel Gibson and Signs. He's an actor's director like there's always a great performance in one of his movies even if the movie itself doesn't work and so this home invasion thriller seems something that he's well suited for and like especially in the first 20 minutes of the movie i thought it was probably some of his most effective suspenseful filmmaking he's done so when watching it i was absolutely delighted like this is the thing i think it works just simply as a home invasion thriller that I'm just kind of surprised that it's super divisive. I mean, I shouldn't be because it's M9 because that's his thing. But like, I'm just like, to me, like the movie as just a home invasion thriller, I think it's very, very like effective in that regard. Like that low bar that it has to clear, I think it clears so immensely. I don't know why, you know, like this was a rough weekend for M9, you know, not only did like his film like get bumped at like six at the box office after coming number one, but also like Philadelphia Eagles lost the Super Bowl. 
Like, uh, <laughs> come on, I, this is supposed to be a safe space for me. You forgot I'm an Eagles fan too. You don't need to bring this up. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't I, like. I, I like that's the thing. I think this movie is so effective as a home invasion thriller. Before we get into like the larger themes of it all, that I just don't get why people are not 100 on board. Daniel, are you 100 on board? Well, no. Um, <laughs> uh, here's the thing. I want to be clear here. I do like this movie. Um, I actually do agree with JB. We actually saw this one together and I we were both cheering at the right moments. And I don't even agree with JB, obviously, um, uh, with all the praise for M. Night's like, you know, visual style and such. I think that he's a man who is willing to experiment. I don't think he those experiments turn out well most of the time or I think any other time so far. <laughs> uh, like, how, uh, how, do you, like, how do you not like Unbreakable? Unbreakable is so good boring i don't know oh my god yeah. uh, it's boring but like but but you need to rewatch it I mean, you need to rewatch it you maybe to re-watch i maybe it. i will maybe i will but old for example like hey josh, is a movie- josh have i ever told you that i have the same disease that samuel L. jackson has in that i have osteogenesis imperfecta yeah you know what i i remember you saying that because uh in the group chat your name at one point was mr glass for entirely for for oh yeah like, i did not i did not know that and i felt so awful when you said this wait wait why oh so you just happened to do that like title that without knowing that about me or you think you just yeah i just knew that you got into like two accidents a lot of broken and bones. you broke oh, yeah oh. and i just okay. i didn't make the connection that it was because you're susceptible to them i felt like a terrible person <laughs> so apologies for that but it was so weird because like i mean i i know idea that was part of the movie until like i was watching unbreakable for the first time and then i hear him say like i have osteogenesis imperfecta which is and it's like a very rare thing like forty thousand people have it or whatever and i was just like holy shit like this guy is in this movie has the same disease that i have i mean i have representation a much representation it matters ma- it, it matters guys there's some the, the minority is like me we gotta like you know we really gotta you know it's a really great <laughs> now i know not to push you down <laughs> yeah, I mean, like literally. I mean, I mean, I mean, like I, I obviously don't have as bad as he did there, but like you know, I, I literally broke my shoulder playing bubble soccer in 2019, if you recall. So I mean, like it, I am more susceptible to fractures. But sorry, go, go ahead, Daniel, and watch Unbreakable again. But continue with your point. Even like, when you look at something like old, like I like that movie. It's his only good one, in my opinion. But I don't like the camera movements. I watch signs and I'm like, this man doesn't know how to block a scene. And I don't that's think he and Ruby. I know I watch signs. That's a, that's not a good looking movie. My friend, I saw it. Um, no, not, okay. No, I, I know. Okay. I don't, like, I don't like this man. I don't like this man's visual style for the most part. It works here. Knock at the cabin. He's taking a lot of stylistic swings. I think it's the most formally accomplished film that he's made to date. Uh, like, like I love the zooms. I love the sort of like hearkening back to sort of like a what would you say like a seventies thriller kind of vibe. Um, and then you know he's swerving into like nineties style like pot boilers. And then you know he's taking like I remember there's like a, a moment where like somebody falls from a chair and like he follows him down in this very interesting way, or somebody's punching the shit the out of the upgrade roof. shot. The upgrade shot, yeah. And I think, but he think he does a little twist to it too. Uh, at one point, uh, you know, somebody is beating the crap out of Rupert Grins. And uh, the camera is like kind of locked on the back of his head as he's being jostled to and fro. Yeah, the uh, POV shot. Yeah, but it's not exactly a POV. It's like the camera is like stabilized behind him. It's kind of like a it, it, they do Video something game. similar. Yeah, it, they do something similar in uh, Night Comes for Us, the uh, 2000, I think, 17 uh, or 19 Netflix movie with Equal Aways. So, yeah, no, like I, I do think that these sorts of things kind of add his visual language here do add something to the proceedings which they need to because you know he's in a, operating in a very very limited space with a very very limited cast and i think that it actually does 
work pretty well. By the way, it should be noted a couple things. I like just visually about the film is like a like M Night has been this weird since he started like self financing like these much smaller like thrillers. You can tell that he's been keeping an eye on like sort of like the A twenty four course uh, guys because like from well, not, now you have to, now you have Daniel's attention from the split <laughs> from split onwards right for split he got like the it follows a cinematographer. And then for this one, he got uh, Jaron Blaschke, who's known for his work with Robert Eggers, which apparently, if you look at the film, there's uh, two credited cinematographers. And it looks like that, like, rumor has it that he and Jaron Blaschke, like, clashed on the film. And so he was replaced with the guy who shoots his servant Apple TV show. Another thing about it, too, it's like early M. Night movies, they were shot by Pat Fujimoto, who like has like this collaboration with Jonathan Demi. And I think out of all of the M. Night movies, this is probably the most like Demi-like with like having like actors like look directly into the camera for these like close-ups, like doing the sort of Jonathan Demi shot. And so I, like I kind of uh, like that was running through my mind, especially towards the end of the film. Uh, when and uh, Jonathan Groff and Ben Aldridge have like their final confrontation, and like it's sort of like they're kind of like spinning around while like looking into the camera. But like the opening minutes of the movie, just the sequence that these like close ups and like where the camera's a little bit tilted, almost on a Dutch angle, with like these incredible performances by Dave Bautista and this little girl who plays Wen he locks you into the film. Like he, there's always this, there's something unsettling, but like also very very gripping about it um in those especially in the opening 20 minutes of the film i do remember seeing that um uh some article where he was saying that he was he you know was exclusively using like older cameras and lenses like stuff from the 90s and such and Mm -hmm. how he's using like you know he's maintaining the sort of imperfections of his older equipment like he's saying like yeah no sometimes you know they'll be in focus but they move a little bit and they'll go out of focus but i would like to i like to keep that i like to keep those imperfections and i think it does add a sort of texture to this film where it otherwise might have looked like a slick sort of netflix movie yeah okay i'll say i concur with everything you guys are saying just like especially with the first you know the invasion the first 20 minutes of it like all incredibly very technically well done though i might not have as many critiques of his other movies as you do from that same point daniel i just think it was incredibly gripping i think you maybe you could debate like if it keeps up that same momentum in the way it maybe could have uh going after that but i mean regardless it's I think it's undeniably incredibly tense and keeps you on the edge of your seat as he does with a lot of his storytelling. But I'm wondering, Josh, for all those nice things you said, you haven't, I think it's interesting. A lot, a lot of what people like to criticize about his movies, even if they find stuff to like about it, is the writing. And we talked a little bit about that already in some of the stuff you can make fun of in something like old. I'm wondering though, like how did M night, the writer really do for you in this, in this movie, as far as like, you know, introducing you to these characters and actually getting you into this story that like, you know, I mean, on some level, you know, asked the question of like, Hey, would you sacrifice a loved one if you could save everyone in the world? But also like, you know, maybe, maybe he's trying to like, you know, interrogate some stuff about, you know, faith and family on an even deeper level. But did he do that in a way that engaged you? Well, yeah, like, um, I think the writing here is much more effective. Like, it's, it's, it's weird, because like, um, I'm gonna say that it's less noticeable insofar as like the lot of the stilted dialogue that I kind of associate with M. Night, and that was especially prevalent in old. Sometimes it kind of works for the movie's wavelength right like there's characters put in off kilter situations anyway so it makes sense if there's like this stilted dialogue right but sometimes i think i don't necessarily think it works as like 
how he's intending. And so there's like sometimes like unintentional humor. But here, like I actually thought like, you know, it, it's since it's such very pot boilery stuff, there's nothing that's like going out of like his wheelhouse. Right. But in terms of like the overarching themes, and this is probably where like I think this movie is dividing uh, people where it's like, I viewed like Knock at the Cabin, despite the fact that it's adapted from a previous source material. You know, most of M. Night's other films, with some exceptions like Old or Last Air- Airbender, most of his movies are original stories written by him. Um, but I think this movie, more than anything, feels like sort of like his like mission statement um, in terms of like what his overall philosophy that guides all his movies, which is his movies are like if there's anything that like unites them it's that they're movies about like faith and spirituality and i think this movie is uh, and you know i've heard some people like argue that it's sort of almost like a right-wing um uh, uh type of movie because it's so much about like faith uh, but like i i more or less like kind of you know maybe one... m- maybe is it pro QAnon? can we say that you know did i go there <laughs> <laughs> well that's what richard brody said um in his review I would argue that like like and one of the things that I, I always stick up for M Night is the thing that I actually take away from his movies the most is his empathy, his humanism that's like throughout all his films. And I think this is sort of making his argument for empathy and finding the benevolence behind like the dark dark forces in our universe. Um, I think that's why when we get towards the end of the film and we get to understand these four strangers that show up at the this door, it's less revealed that they're evil and more like real legitimate motivations behind them. And also like his case for like this love of this this that this family has, this makeshift family being so pure. And I I, I found it, you know, as being a secular viewer, I I, I found it effective. Now I think there's probably things that if you really interrogate it going on the opposite end, like, like sort of like the case for rationalizing with like QAnon or whatever, you could be like upset about when you really, really interrogate the text. But in the moment, I I found it working. And that's also because the performances of the films is also very effective. Yeah, I am curious to talk a little more about the performances. But I want to ask Daniel, did that ambiguity that he's talking about work for you in a similar way? So actually, this is the part of the film that I think has not sat as well with me the more that I, you know, uh, think over the film. As JB said, like, you know, this is him grappling with faith. Uh, This couple is, or I suppose this family unit is challenged to decide amongst themselves who should be sacrificed to save the rest of the world. And they have no proof of what exactly is occurring. Like they're shown little things here and there, but they can easily be explained away. Uh, They can be explained away as contradictions or coincidences. And so ultimately it comes down to whether or not these two, uh, and I suppose the daughter also, whether they can fully first off believe what they're being told uh, or whether they can accept what they're being told. And secondly, whether they're willing to actually make that sacrifice. And here is where I think it gets a little rockier when you stop and really uh, interrogate it. I think like JB said, that this is where the right wing sort of interpretations come in. It's like, you know, M Night entering his pure flicks era, you know, I, I do actually find this, um, you know, exploration to be inherently interesting. Um, I do think it's inherently interesting to have this idea that maybe one per one part of this couple, like uh 
is more open to this than the other. And how does that change their relationship? How does that change their dynamic? I think the problem here is that because this is kind of a stand plays like a very standard pot boiler. I always say a well-executed pot boiler, but a pot boiler nonetheless, it doesn't leave a lot of room for sort of uh, the proper sort of interrogation of this theme uh, in a way that makes it feel fully worth it, um, or at least makes it makes the ultimate conclusion feel like a a natural one. Yeah, I guess. Well, thing is, I I've, I've heard some people kind of give the movie credit for like not wasting any time, which I do appreciate at the beginning. You know, it gets right to it in a way that I think is like really efficient. And, you know, I think the one thing you sacrifice when you do that is, you know, a little character development. You're leaning on the performers to like, you know, fill in some of those gaps, but they're also doing some of that as they go along. But I did find myself a little bit questioning like, hey, did they totally earn like where these guys end up? Like, you know, the different the different levels. It's um, well, shoot. Now I'm now I'm getting. Uh, yeah. Well, first of all, like, you know, Eric is the one that, you know, starts to like, you know, say question like, oh, maybe there is actually something to this. He's concussed, so it's like I, that. That's a little bit of a shorthand for that. But like, he, because he's so out of it, it's really hard to know exactly what 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 he's thinking, where he's thinking. We're, we're I think we're a little bit more meant to like kind of see things from Andrew's perspective a little bit because we're the ones that were as the audience were also probably not concussed. I don't know. It's it's easier to get where he's coming from than when Eric is because like how much of it is him being concussed? How much of it is because of like something he's just more predisposed to believe in? We don't really know because we don't necessarily get to know them that well. So it's like I don't want to like you know criticize it too much. For that because i like that this movie gets in and out in under 100 minutes but at the same time it's like you know i don't totally know if i uh you know i, I don't totally know if it exactly earns everywhere it goes with where that where those two guys are at their different at these different points of the movie yeah i will say that uh we'll get to the very very end later um i guess we can save that for the end but i do think that their relationship between the two of them is also kind of a undercut by the nature of the, the the sort of plot of the film like it is a pot boiler they're tied up um you know on the back you know to chairs and such for most of the film so we don't get a lot of exploration of their relationship uh and i think this is actually one of the biggest issues Wait, I, I have with the I, movie I, I disagree with that right and this is one of those things where at this point i'm just kind of getting like tired of like like all right right like I understand if like this was like a mini series, like you could go more in depth with it. But I think like he is economical in like the flashbacks and sort of giving you elements of their relationship leading up to this event. Well, that's actually what I was getting. That's actually what I was getting to. Okay. I, 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 it's one of those things where like, I, I, while I agree with you that, I mean, it is at the end of the day, a genre exercise. Um, I think that it is fair to question um, whether this genre exercise was the best vehicle to explore the themes that he uh, wanted to, and certainly to reach the conclusion that he wanted to, which was a very deliberate conclusion for this man, which for reasons we'll get into. Um, there are flashbacks to, uh, you know, every this, these, this couple's life before they get to this cabin and they, you know, they're kind of happy, but they're also, I, I don't know. They're also kind of framed in a way that I find a little bit distasteful um, in the sense that they're defined purely by the adversarial relationship they have with the wider world. They are a gay couple and every single scene that they're in, w- which is outside of this cabin is through the lens of like persecution, which I, if you're trying to make a point about tolerance, I guess makes a certain sort of sense as rote as it might be, but that's not really what the movie is about. And 
based on where this movie ultimately goes, I think it creates some sort of, un, I don't know, unfortunate implications. And also it just means that there's not much to define these two men beyond the fact that they are gay and oppressed before they get to this cabin in which they are oppressed in a certain sort of way. Um, and I just don't find that to be a very complex portrait of a relationship that where I'm supposed to ultimately believe that, you know, this is about a couple who is so purely, so pure and so in love that it's their decision that the universe or the world hinges upon. Uh, I, I just couldn't buy into the emotionality of the movie. I bought into the thriller stuff. And ultimately, I am kind of, I'm not entirely negative on where the film ultimately goes, but I, I just couldn't buy into the emotion of the piece. Josh, should the, Josh, should those flashbacks do it more for do more for you than it sounds like they did for Daniel, or is it the performances or something else that made you uh, buy into the yes, relationship? And, a little more? Like, and this is the thing where it's like, so like in the flashbacks, right? I think they more or less like set up why like one of the dads played by Ben Aldridge is more um, skeptical to like these like four invaders coming to their house and and the message that they're sending and why like the other one might be a little bit more receptive to it but also i think in between like those moments when you're seeing the other thing like i think the movie kind of established and it's more of your gestures is the daughter's relationship between with the two parents right and, and how like they comport themselves around the daughter and i think like it is again like it's just like at the beginning of the movie when they're tied up you see the daughter like sort of uh, uh wrap her arms around like one father and use him for protection before moving on to the other now it's not necessarily i'm not going to say like it's exactly like um extrapolated beyond there but it's just like all like on screen or whatever it's like those little character details those moments that like kind of like let me sort of inform my own opinion of like exactly how this like family dynamic is working and i think like yeah like there is like maybe like to uh, daniel's point like maybe some more character development in terms of distinguishing the two different personalities to these two guys but i do think like the main takeaway that you at least need coming out with the story is just that why one why one parent is a little bit more skeptical and why the other is not and i think that is conveyed in within the time allotted and, and then again, like I and by the end of the film, I was still kind of swept up in the emotion of it when you get into the final 20 minutes when they have to decide the sacrifice uh, made. Um, and so like that's why I wasn't necessarily feeling like cheated in terms of the lack of character development between the two people, because I, I at least understood what I probably needed to know to get to the final moments of catharsis by the end of the film. The one thing that we I think we both did agree on is that these two men don't ever kiss. <laughs> these yeah. men don't ever kiss in the movie, which I, it, it feels so 
weirdly restrained to me uh it's not when there's a moment like sort of building up to it in like yeah like the camera is like swirling around the two of them and all and it would be the perfect moment to have that if you were only going to have one which again i don't think you should have only just one if this is a couple that is so very much in love well, uh, well i mean it, i don't know if the plot really calls for much more than that it's not really a movie there's that much even time for romance given where it gets I mean, quite yeah but like the, my thing is the physical i, I agree they're saying though it certainly builds to a moment where that could have happened yeah, but even in the flashbacks, like I, I remember like there's like a flashback to them, like having dinner with the parents and like even after the parents leave who are not very accepting, like the two men, I think they remain like three feet apart at all times. Uh, oh, it, and by the way, like, by the way, like it's in like certain flashbacks like that where I was thinking of like, all right, in that thing, you you get a sense that like at least but one of the guys, like his parents are a little because he on the phone with them explain what happened is more receptive to the relationship or when they go to adopt the daughter and you know you see like um them having to pretend like uh, that they're not in a relationship in order for the adoption to go through like at least like getting those like little details that just like kind of form their little history right well my Even problem if, my, yeah. my problem there is that i think it it is still that they're oppressed correct and i just and I, i'm not even saying that that's not a component that should be in the film i think that it is an important part of the film but um i do sort of believe that you need a little bit more than that if you're going to you know uh, like i think uh mechanically like if you're going to make this relationship kind of the center of the fate of the world uh i i would i would have liked a little bit more to go on than just they are both gay uh, speaking of the fate of the world stuff, we really haven't talked about these invaders that much. I, and I'm wondering, okay, I guess where I first want to start is, uh, I'll ask you, Josh, as someone that seem, you're, it seems like you're an M. Night completist, unlike Daniel and I. Uh, well, no, I can't cons- I can't say I'm a completist because I have not seen his first two movies, uh, Praying with Anger or Wide Awake, his family-friendly uh, uh, religious film for Merrimack. Fair enough. It's, it's, or it's Last just- Airbender or After Earth. You haven't seen those? No, but it's just oh. like, you know, I think M. Night and like how we look at M. Night's career, we like to be- think that it begins at. Yeah, like, I, I, yeah I forgot for a second. Yeah, he would, yeah. he would like you to believe that, too. Yeah. Well, well, I guess I guess my question would be then with with all the apologies to, uh, I don't know, Will Smith and Deb Patel. Where does this Dave Batista performance rank and ones that he has gotten out of actors before? Because I was pretty blown away by him. Yeah, no. And again, like it's one of those things like using Batista's persona, like his physical size, but like his soft spoken, you know, he's a gentle giant in this movie Um, using weaponizing and using it effectively. And again, this is the thing, like where does it rank? It's like it's, it's really hard to like compare it because, you know, there's so many great ones in the back catalog from Osmond to Bruce Willis to Mel Gibson, James McAvoy, uh, yeah. McAvoy. But I think it definitely would probably be in like his top five male performances for sure um or just top five performances in general um because batista is really really great in in this role and really proving himself to be a very interesting character actor it's almost like i i, I almost feel like there's nothing more to say about batista just on the fact that like everybody at this point has recognized that Batista's our best wrestler turned actor working today like no competition I do think that um, the the performances of this film do a lot of heavy duty lifting. Well, a lot. I don't want to over exaggerate, but 
I do think that they are very strong across the board. Even the the two fathers, as much as I'm uh, as much as I'm sort of disappointed by the amount of depth or lack thereof in their relationship, I think that the two dads they have really great performances. Uh, especially, I, I forgot I got who's the skeptic dad? Uh, ben Aldridge. Ben Aldridge. Yeah, I think that he's really good. Um, I think that the home invaders, particularly the uh, the, the other home invaders, particularly oh I, I don't know her name, the nurse one. Oh, yes. Um, and that's the one he's used before. And I believe she's a British actress. Um, yeah. So like she she's great. Nikki Amuka Bird, who, like, as you guys noted, she was also in. Right. Order. And uh, to have these, uh, you know, I think that the invaders managed to really convey this sort of reluctance to what they're doing. Like they're they have a conviction that they're right, but also the very human they're they're grappling with a very human like sort of disgust i suppose with what they feel that they have to do even though they know that it must be what that, that's the sort of part of faith the aspect of faith the sort of challenge of remaining faithful that i always yeah, find at, a, well, at a certain point i at a certain point i almost didn't think they were crazy anymore even if i didn't think they were right you know like it was a, a top balance and similarly like batista like managed to somehow be really scary but also like you kind of buy that he doesn't want to be scary in that moment. It's it's really impressive. Yeah, actually, one of the uh, notes that uh, Shyamalan gave Batista was so when Batista got the role, it was like can't I think he had just come off of filming one of the Guardians movies, right? And he's like, hey man, I I I, I buffed up for that. Like I I. I I know that I'm a little bit too big for you right now for for this role, but I want to play it. And M Night was like, no, 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 I want you to be bigger. Like, I want to really <laughs> highlight the contrast between, like, I want you to be physically as big as you've ever been, but also I want your voice to go as low as it's ever been. Um, at, to, the, to the point where you could say you, you're a second grade teacher and people would only laugh a little yeah, bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, <laughs> th- th- that is an interesting way of using Batista. And also, let's just shout out, like, Ron over there coming in. <laughs> giving a Boston accent. Um, <laughs> I heard like, some people say. I heard some people I, say I, that he I, wasn't. I that, seen... The Boston accent wasn't that great. I couldn't. I mean, I don't know. I'm not great with accents. Yeah, I didn't. Well, I haven't watched The Servant. I'm wondering if I should. Apparently, he actually has pretty good reviews. And uh, Rupert Grint was in it, so I'm just like happy for him. It's like as many like post Harry Potter chances as we've given Emma Watson. Like, why doesn't he get one? You know, well, I think he's just chilling. I think it's less. Like, <laughs> I, I mean, he doesn't. Like, I mean, you make that Harry Potter money. I don't think you really need need to work. That's a good so. point. I mean, Daniel Daniel Radcliffe stays having jobs. You know, so it's like I just kind of assume maybe he would want to, but maybe he just is like I made enough money, I can just hang out. By the way, speaking of this uh, servant show, you know who M Night recruited to direct some episodes? Hmm. Julie Dar- uh, Darkenau, who did uh, Raw on Titan. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you know, I was happy for Rupert Grint. I honestly don't think I've ever actually seen him in anything other than the Harry Potter stuff, unless I'm forgetting something. So it was kind of cool just to be like, oh, cool. Like, you, good for you. You got to like be in a, another big movie and someone gave you a And then he fucking shot. dies within the first like 10, 20 minutes. I mean, spoilers, people. But well, when you think about it, like, he might be the most recognizable face in this movie because like so many people know Batista from things where he, his face isn't really as like front and center, whether, you know, like with respect to like the Guardian stuff or, um, or I guess I actually, I don't remember what his character looked like in Dune, but like, it's like, you know, gray. it's just yeah, him, but gray. In, in, Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So it's like Rupert Grant might've had the most recognizable face in this movie. So in, in a way it's like, he almost used that, uh, you know, to like catch the audience off guard. Like, Oh, they're really going to like take this guy off the yeah, board. That's deep blue sea. By, so by the way, how dare you disrespect? And I have to go through the credits. Abby Quinn. 
Like you're telling me <laughs> from landline. People who was Abby know Quinn? Me. Which one was Abby Quinn? She's the uh, um, she's the visitor, the, the white lady invader. Son. Oh that yeah, she... I actually did quite like her. I did quite like yeah. her. Why are you saying I'm disrespecting her? What should I know her from besides landline? Like, uh, apparently, she was in Little Women. Uh, apparently she was She's in, in shit house. Just... Shit house. You like you like that one, right? I love shit house. She she was she was actually originally going to be the lead, and then they just um and then she had a scheduling conflict in that, and she ended up being like just one of the other girls at a party. My God, you you have encyclopedic so, uh... knowledge of Cooper Rafe's career. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's not that long, but like, I mean, I I I really I really like shit house, and I just remembered her from landline because I mean, I'm a huge fan of uh, Obvious Child, so I remember being very excited for landline and being like, oh, like who's this person I've never seen before? But like, she kind of hasn't been in much lately but and i you know went and got her and actually I mean, actually the most recognizable face i think for audiences is m night's little cameo as oh my goodness I, me, me and jb literally <laughs> started clapping we started literally applauding uh in the theater well so how do you guys how do you guys generally how do you guys generally feel about uh how it goes when he puts themselves in movies do you think that was just the perfect amount and normally it bothers you oh, or something? that's the perfect amount but like i would say okay that's his best cameo right but like I was a huge like again, I did not like old. I was like I was very like upset with him. But then his cameo in old, I'm like you little stinker, oh you little trickster. <laughs> it's I forgot, I, for, I, I forgot what, what is he in old? Is he someone in the lab or is he like driving he's a guy running the, the whole guy thing? Reco- yeah, he's the one recording the uh, incident as it uh, happens on the island. Oh, okay. he's the director gotcha. of the uh, of the island. Uh, get it. I, I've, I've forgotten it? that. Uh, <laughs> I will say that I'm I'm not a huge fan of when he puts himself in his movies. I mean, well, in like roles as big as in old, but here I loved it. He's like on the TV, like in a cooking show or something. Love that. I gotta say. But like with this movie, and again, like the other thing that M. Night really is skilled at is getting like these child performances. And the little girl is very, very effective in the movie as well um, amongst the other cast members. But as you get more and more into What's kind of interesting about this film, it's like out of all of his movies, it's the one that you think is most building up to a twist. But like, you know, um, and this is where I guess we can see where it differs from the book. But like this is the film in which is the events that are happening on screen are at its most literal. Which I think might be also a point of contention for general audiences. Um, I think that people were kind of expecting this to build to some sort of reveal in part because of M night Shyamalan's uh, career. Uh, But also I think maybe partially modern audiences just aren't used to this kind of movie. So they're sort of expecting it to build to some sort of grand conclusion where everything gets revealed, you know? And when that doesn't happen, even regardless of their relationship with M night, they feel like, well, that what was the point of that? You know, what was the point of just sitting in the cabin for two hours if they ultimately were just going to make the decision anyways? Um, I'm not saying that I agree with that perspective. I think that's a very unsophisticated, uh, to put it lightly, way to look at the movie. But um, I do think that that might be a point of contention for the people who didn't like the movie. And like usually, like I think one of like uh, M Night's Achilles' heels in terms of his storytelling is that I. I go back to the final scene in Psycho where like you have it's like the most dreaded <laughs> epilogue ever where like 
they have someone explaining why um, Norman Bates is the way he is or whatever. And that is like half a split, Mm -hmm. like half a split is like this very effective, like thriller. And the other half is like the psychiatrist explaining to you, like the motivation. Yeah, no, no, no. no, Yeah, this is his. it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of the end of all. Yeah, no, that's his worst. That's his worst instinct, Uh, like an old, uh, which I guess uh, we'll get into, like, you know, the difference from the book. But in old, for example, uh, it was based on a French graphic novel. And the French graphic novel, uh, you know, it's these these families being caught on this beach where they're all starting to age quickly. But there's no explanation. There's no there. There's an implication that they're being watched, but never an actual confirmation of what the nature of that observer might be. Uh, You're not even sure that there is one. So uh, it ends up being just a sort of exploration of what do you do when you have a limited this limited amount of time to experience the totality of life? And it's sort of just. Uh, and sort of existential look at how we relate to our own mortality, but played over like, you know, the course of a day instead of a lifetime. And that's very interesting to, you know, when I read about it, but an old, the question that he wants to ask is, hey, what if there were, what if, what if there were rocks on a beach that somehow aged the process of aging and the pharmaceutical company could possibly harness this, but and he gets into this bullshit about explaining it and like why that could possibly happen here i mean you get a you get a hint of that but i think he issues it mostly and yes for the correct. Best. yeah but so, like he like no. it, 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 yeah it, it's one of those like the hint is still like kind of just like goofy like towards the end of the film when you like are revealed the visitor's backstory like in the car you get to you get like two picture frames two <laughs> picture frames and then also um um the uh like yeah like at that point like the rupert grin slice uh driver's license on the car or whatever um that type of stuff gets a little bit like goofy but like in this one it's kind of interesting in that oh and then when by the way one of my favorite reviews on letterbox like shout out to i guess like past guests um andrea dewitt but like her review is just those are not even the four horsemen of the apocalypse. <laughs> well, actually, you know what? I was thinking about that review. Funny, but also I think it actually does sort of make sense because um, Jay Batista has said that like families over the course of millennia have been making this decision to sort of keep the world moving. And I, I think the implication is that the four horsemen, the nature of these sort of heralds of the apocalypse sort of changes with the times also. Um or I think that's at least the a- explanation that could be grabbed out of one's ass if one were forced to do it. So, Eminite, if you're listening, you're welcome. Yeah, no, because like it was one of those things like like in the movie when he like explains that it did cross my mind like oh, it's not the four horsemen, <laughs> and, but like but I was already like on his weird wavelength for what. Yeah, yeah. So, like, All right, just... so yeah. you let, let's get into the difference from the. Book. Yeah, like, yeah, because I, I actually haven't looked that up yet. So if anyone's watched the movie but thinks they might want to go read the book, I guess jump off now because I, I was hoping to get into this if either of you guys had looked into that. So, uh, Daniel, based on the uh, research you did, I, and I, it, it, this has come up in every almost every review I've or heard or interview I've heard or podcast I've listened to or someone's read the book, they're like, oh yeah, there's a big change, but it was probably a good one. I'm wondering, can you tell us what that was and if you agree that M. Night made a, a, a smart choice in how he deviated? Because from what I understand, from listening to the interview he did on the big picture, uh, originally there was a script that like mimicked the book like beat for beat. And he's like, that's not for me. And then eventually it came back around to him and they're like, ah, we like your changes. So I'm wondering, do you think he was smart in how he adapted it? And there's apparently one very big difference he uh, decided to make. 
Yes and no. I okay. think that the ending of the book is, I think, probably more interesting to me personally. But I also know that that is not the kind of movie that M. Night Shyamalan would ever make. And I think that the ending that he replaces it with, um, while I, I do have issues with it, I think ultimately, um, as I think it over, the last closing moments of it, I think, do sort of make the change worth it um although maybe it's not immediately obvious as to why so what does happen in the book jb you want to take this yeah okay so as you know like in the movie um it's for her future that her father makes the ultimate sacrifice as eric who becomes increasingly open to the possibility that the stranger's visions are true makes peace with the gamble and convinces andrew to kill him all right so that's in the movie right and then in the book Wen is accidentally killed when Andrew and Leonard struggle over a gun, leaving her dads to make their decisions uh, through unsurmountable grief. And then left alone to decide humanity's face, they reject the choice itself, defying any god that would put them through hell, enduring hate and homophobia to find their way to happiness, only to take their daughter and still demand more. And now this is something that like M Knight and the author of the book. So the author of the book did this like piece for the LA Times where he goes over the differences between the movie and the book, right? And the headline of the piece says, like, at times to made me want to run out of the theater. But like his actual views on the movie is a little bit more complex. He actually likes the movie. And M Knight and him kind of say the same thing, which is in some ways you could argue that the movie's ending is a little bit more darker than the book if you actually think about it like it's sort of like a retelling of in the bible of abraham and about like him like sacrificing his son like yeah, the binding of isaac yeah and so you could think if you really think about it for like a minute it's like all right, all right so like there is this higher power in the world but it wants to make it wants you to make this terrible sacrifice or whatever. It kind of speaks to like the nature of like, all right, is this God or force uh, actually good? Like if it's requiring me to make the sacrifice. And that's sort of the argument that both M. Night and the author kind of makes in terms of the shift in, uh, from the book to the movie where like, yeah, on paper, the uh, book's ending is a lot darker and it would have been kind of interesting to see if like, you know, how audience would have reacted to the movie if he had stuck to that path in the first place. But I think in terms of shifting the ending, it kind of more or less goes along uh, with M. Night's themes as like an artist in terms of his belief in faith. That's exactly where I'm at with it, to be honest with you. At first, I did think that I preferred the book's ending when I first heard it. But and I, I, you know, I do appreciate the uh, the the sense of ambiguity that it creates because, um, you know, apparently in the book, you don't actually see whether the apocalypse actually does happen. You just see these two men railing against a universe that, you know, would put them in this position to begin with that wouldn't accept wins death that's like a sacrifice enough so would you so would you say that's the book taking like a more anti-religious stance than m night does and do you think that is like a smarter choice to not go like that hard in one direction on taking a stance on like organized religion well i think that the book actually the ending maybe i don't know there's a there's still an ambiguity in the film's ending i think that it's certainly more cynical the book's ending is well on at least on paper i actually did not think that one through actually the uh 
the the Abrahamic connection, you know, mm-hmm. um, what I was actually thinking as I molded over was that okay, so the it's interesting that the the dad who actually didn't believe in this is the one who has to kind of go through it um, because while yeah, of course he saw the planes falling out of the sky and such, the moment that he kills his husband, you know, the the sky's clear and everything seems to go back to normal. But because of the nature of this character, and I, I, I'll, you know what, I'll, I'll say this, I'll go back a little bit on some earlier um, criticism I had, because you do know enough about this character to sort of get the sense that he will always think about what if he will always question whether or not his decision actually made that change uh, when he's sitting in the diner and he's hearing all these people kind of be thankful that it's all over. He's thinking to himself, like, was that actually me? Uh, He gets into the car with Wynn and sees that all these people believed, but he just doesn't have their conviction. And ultimately, you know, what what else can he do? He puts on boogie shoes and drives off into the sunset, you know, this uncertain future where he doesn't actually know whether what he did was worth it. So I don't know, like that part of it, I actually did quite like. I'm still, I don't know. I'm still sort of unsure. The part that I'm not a huge fan of is like the actual scene where they kill him. I think in mostly because I'm just not sold on the emotion of that relationship. But ultimately, I do sort of, I do sort of like the ending for this film. I think that it is appropriate. And to be, I mean, to be honest, like, I don't know that I would want M. Night to do the original book's ending because that's just not the type of person he is. Well, yeah, it seems like he was very he's very aware of very self-aware in that. Yeah, it's, it's not what he's interested in. It wouldn't be a reflection of him. Uh, and I assume that it would be feel inauthentic in a way that the ending ultimately was not. So, you know, and again, like uh, the author of the book, like he like in his interview with the L.A. Times about the difference, you know, he also talks about like, you know, his approach to it when he wrote the story is like he was coming from it like like from an agnostics point of view and m night is a guy who you know has this hindi background but also went to like catholic school where like you know it it sort of informs his obsession when it comes to faith and then the other thing about it too is like the author of the book said like you like yeah like i'm kind of curious what would be andrew and wen's relationship now having to have killed the father and having to live with this knowledge that you know their sacrifice was for this like to get rid of this apocalypse thing but like you know such a cruel thing like for who you know it's kind of interesting but one thing i will say though is like if it were me and you showed me like videos of like planes falling from the sky i wouldn't necessarily think that's a sign of the apocalypse I'd just be like, oh, that's another week in transportation secretary yeah. uh, Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> those are deregulating up. those fucking, you know, airlines, Boeing, you know, been fucking up, you know. You mentioned you mentioned M. Night going to like Catholic school growing up. And it was funny. I just because I, I, as you guys know, I'm originally from Philadelphia. And I was like, wait, I forgot. What school did he go to now that you said that? And I like so I went to like his Wikipedia. And first of all, he was raised in Penn Valley, which is literally like right next door to the or literally right next to the the suburb my grandpa still lives in so like i oh. or currently lives in so like i can walk to there from penn valley from my grandpa's but also he you went can to see the house that he's refinancing for his movie <laughs> po- po- possibly uh and but he he went the school that he grew up going to 
Uh, it says private Roman Catholic grammar school, Waldron Mercy Academy, which is literally the school that I went, I grew up going to sports camp at in the summers when I would stay with my grandparents for the summers. I, I mean, when I was living in, growing up in uh, Panhandle, Florida, my brother and I would go stay with my grandparents in Philadelphia for like a month every summer and go to sports camps, day, day, day camps. And like this school that M night apparently went to elementary school at was where my, where my sports camps were. I went there for like seven or eight years. It's very, very weird, small world. By the way, when you went to see your grandparents, did it end up like the movie, the visit? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I did routinely visit grandparents that lived outside of Philadelphia as those kids did. Those, those, those grandparents lived like way more outside, but like, uh, no, let's just say, uh, my parents did not have an estranged relationship with them. So when I got sent off to see them, uh, I knew what they were supposed to look like. And so did my parents. So, um, <laughs> My, oddly enough, I, I mean, I did really like the visit, actually. I mean, even Daniel didn't, but I did think that it was like a very strange, Um, it was, it was very, I just thought it was some very strange parenting choices by that Catherine Hahn character and some very strange acting choices by Catherine Hahn, actually. I heard someone make the case that like post-COVID, it's now wouldn't be unheard of for like kids not to know what their grandparents look like, given that they have been like kind of quarantined or whatever. Yeah, I mean, they, come on. Not not a 15 pictures. Year Cameras so. exist. Are your grandparents vampires? Come on. Well, I mean, it's like if let's say you did have an estranged relationship with your grandparents and like, you know, like, well, I, mean, I mean, I feel like before you sent them off, you might think to bring up Facebook, and just be like, hey, there there's pop pop. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe if like if the last time you saw them, they were in their 50s, got a little bit older. You're sending your kids there. It's COVID. Like, I don't know. Well, the weird thing about that movie is like, you know, Catherine Hahn sees them on like Skype or whatever when they're talking to her. And like, she doesn't seem like that alarmed. It, like, it's the, 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 it was just a, I think Catherine Hahn's a great actress, but like, it was a very strange moment where she's like, she doesn't seem as, she's like, that's, that's not your grandparents. But like, maybe she's like trying not to like scare them too much, but it was like very, very I mean, that, that's where I'm like, uh, M. Night's relationship with actors, I wouldn't say as as glowing. I wouldn't be as glowing about his oh, ability it's to it's hit or miss. Hit or miss. I'd no, say no, hit no, or that miss. Is okay, no, 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 no. Let's go it down. Let's go down. Let's go down the list. All right. Because, <laughs> like, all right. So, you in, in Sixth Sense, he directed two Oscar nominated performances Tony Collette and Haley Joel Osmond, and one that should have been Bruce Willis. Then in Unbreakable, I disagree. Bruce Willis again, Sam disagree. Jackson. Robin Pet wait, do you think Bruce what? Yeah, no, not a fan. I mean, yeah, I mean it's, it's uh, Bruce Willis in okay. Sixth Sense. Yeah, at best okay. You need to rewatch. <laughs> then you get to signs, you get to Mel Gibson. Um, I think it's probably really good uh one not of good. walking huh? Not good. <laughs> what, Mel Gibson? Mel Gibson. It's not You're as good lying. as certainly not certainly not as good as his role in Bloodfather. I'll say no, that not guys, as good as his no, role in no, Get no, the I Gringo. I really need to rewatch, dude. Like the, you know what? I would I, even I put. I would even say that his performance in Daddy's Home Two, I'd put above his performance in Signs. Definitely the. Well, I don't lying. know. It's talk, you're you're lying. <laughs> you don't really believe that. I go do believe that. The scene. Go rewatch the scene I, with. I saw. This, it, I, I saw it last year, son. I saw it last year. It's okay. Um, at then best. you get Bryce Dallas Howard in The Village. Then you get like it. a Paul Giamatti in Lady in the Water, and then happen and happening. This is the one where he gets mocked because it's Wal Wahlberg in that one. 
But but I would say John Leguizamo has a heartbreaking monologue in that film. McAvoy and Split with Anya Taylor Joy and Glass, you know, uh, a comeback for uh, Willis. And no, no, yeah, no, 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 no. I, 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 now that we know what sadly happened to Bruce Willis from his health, I maintain that like Glass was hamstrung because they could only have him do so much. Like Glass is so there's <laughs> like nothing happens at them. I know. I, I read your letter about superhero. I know. I know. That's I know you. I, I, I know you think he's subverting the superhero expectation. Yeah, I just That's the problem. I, is that the problem? The problem with that, without without seeing glass, I will say that no, 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 J- no, no, JB's take no without seeing there's, glass. So I think that the problem speak. the problem with JB's take uh, with <laughs> sight the movie unseen, that you have not seen. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, you sight unseen, seen it. Sight, sight unseen is that I mean, but but I've seen his other movies. He makes he's made movies where things don't happen and just are kind of boring. Before I think he's done but, it but like no, at least like, right. five times before. I think, like, right. So it's a toss to say that it's like intentional. I I can't I can't yes, take your word it, for it. I can't take yes. your word for it. Well, my thing is like you just misunderstand M Night. You just fundamentally <laughs> like like maybe, I think with Unbreakable, for instance, right? I think you gotta approach that movie less as a thriller and just more of a drama about what if Superman was on Earth and he didn't know that he was Superman. And I, mean, I think he, I, I how think that I, movie explores that like conundrum is interesting. Um, uh, I think it's uh, interesting in all the comics that have explored that before. Like you know, I just don't think that it's very interesting the way he does it. I well, I well, you've thrown out a lot of the adult performances there. I don't know how you feel about the kid ones, Daniel, but I I want to give him a shout out just for I think he is really good at working with kids. I mean, uh, even aside from the Haley Joel Osment performance, obviously, like I think he gets a better performance out of Misha Barton in the Sixth Sense than like she gives in the OC, which she's most known for. I think that he has the Breslin's like, and yeah, Breslin and Culkin and Signs. Like, I think are both really no, they're they are good. Uh, Bad. And, and 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 then like I, I mean, as ridiculous as the as the rapping kid is in the visit, like I got a kick out of him. And, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. the rapping kid. I don't remember visit. that. That might visit? be why. No, that was it. the thing that you were like really pissed off with. Visit. Okay, you, you know what? The, the, I was thinking about. It, I'm like, I was about to say that's probably partially why I gave it a one. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I I I, I, I found it kind of like charming. And uh, between yeah, I him like and, the M Night humor. Him, him and Olivia DeJong in the it visit. It can go and, one way or the other. And I think like you guys mentioned earlier, the girl here is good. I I, I think he's actually like really good at working with kids. I think I, she's I, like, okay. I think she's it's, fine. it's really easy you're to like. Just, okay, you're just okay. You're, you're saying she's just okay. Just so you can just rag on them night. That's I all you said. Saying. I just said I like everybody no, no, no. in this cast. You can't just be like, you can't be like, oh, yeah, she was good. No, no. You're saying she's just okay. Just so you can just stick to your. I think she is just okay. I think she's yeah. probably the worst actress in the bunch. You know, I'm not saying that I would put her up for the Razzies. Um, although if I were the Razzies, I would stick to my guns. You know, oh my cowards. God. I think that I think the. Um... <laughs> Wait, well, I forgot. What did they do? They took something away. They, from they, they nom- no, they nominated the a twelve-year-old girl. girl. Yeah, the uh, Firestarter girl, and then they apologized for it. Which look, and they maybe, put an age limit now. Like, yeah, which is just coward. That's just cowardly. That's gotta, just, oh, actually, wait, no, actually, I. No, I don't, remember I, when I, the Razzies? Remember I, when the Razzies meant something? I mean, I'm, come on. I almost said something. And I, I, I thought I was going to cancel myself. I'll share it with you guys when we're done. Uh, <laughs> to me, to me, Daniel canceled himself when he said Mel Gibson gave a bad performance in Signs. It's. Uh, I mean, I don't think that it's bad. It's just his worst. What? <laughs> it's just his worst. I don't know what to tell you. 
Oh God. Um, I don't know. I'll just say again, I appreciate, uh, I appreciate M night's ability to, uh, to work with kids if nothing else. Cause like oh, something like that little girl, like the girl that plays wind, like that could just be like, it could like honestly ruin a lot of scenes if she is just a bad actress or something like, you know, like something like uh, a movie Josh and I've talked about before that just jumped to mind. Like we, we both love Noah Baumbach. He just said, fuck it. When he cast the kid in marriage story, like he didn't give a shit. You know, and like, I, I appreciate it when it looks like, you know, someone actually puts a little thought into it. And that girl is, you know, like, I, th- I think she was I think she gets the job done. Like, I don't, I don't know if I'll say it's like the best. By the, way, by, the way, by the way, marriage story, a movie I love. Right. I just now when you put it like that, it's just like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to make a personal movie about the uh, falling out of my marriage and the impact it had on those that I loved. All right. Who's playing? My, it doesn't matter who's playing. The, the kid's unimportant. <laughs> well, I, I'm pretty I'm pretty sure like when he got divorced from Jennifer Jason, Lee, like the kid was the kid was not that old. So it was like it wasn't like he was necessarily like. I mean, I guess he could have tried to capture the essence of what his kid was like at seven. But like when they got divorced, I don't think he had a kid that was like sentient. Um, well, I think that I think what I, I think it tells you that motherfucker motherfucker didn't know his kids is probably <laughs> what it tells you. Hey, now let's not let's not slander the let's not slander our boy. Um, <laughs> you know, okay, I I enjoyed the performances. Um, Josh, anything else about Knock at the Cabin that we did not touch on yet that you want to talk about? Knock knock, who's there? M Night. I'm not opening this door. <laughs> <laughs> not doing it. M Night who? M night bringing it all back. This is the second best movie. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, D- Daniel. Any final thoughts on a knock at the cabin? Uh, there's one little moment that I think uh, I keep like, saying. I, I keep saying a knock at the cabin. It's just knock at the cabin. So, yeah, there, there's there's one moment that I think it's one of those those dangling sort of things that I think keep me from really fully putting my weight behind this movie. Um, there's this moment where, uh, you know, like Rupert Grint, he plays this guy who's like, you know, he's, I guess he's vengeance or wrath or something. And, uh, you know, he's just this redneck looking Pennsylvania, like bumpkin, I guess. And uh, no, Massachusetts. Bostonian. Bostonian. Oh, he's a Bostonian. Mas- okay. He's a masshole. He's a masshole. Yeah. God, I really uh, sidebar. I really hate those boston people who call themselves massholes like it's charming it's not <laughs> screw you but in by any way, case this is coming from a by the way daniel Dan, daniel was telling us earlier today so all the listeners know he is very excited for the new movie air starring the two um <laughs> two, two massholes uh matt damon and ben affleck oh uh, you know what i am fans of those massholes i'll say that <laughs> but um Wait, really well you know i i have i, I like ben um matt uh more iffy but i mean he started a movie called we bought a zoo i haven't seen it but i appreciate that uh he's doing one for me um so anyway but anyways you know he plays this redneck and uh at certain point ben aldrich's character says oh he's the guy who assaulted me in a bar years ago it ultimately at first it's like not really certain whether or not he is or not and i thought that that was kind of interesting because it kind of painted a portrait of like this man's kind of reactive nature to the world that he's been brought up in this world that he hates and i think that that ambiguity whether or not this man actually was this man ultimately did add a lot of depth into the oh wait a second no no he is that man he is that man he gets his wallet and he says yep that's the guy and it's like well what's that supposed to mean like, no 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 I, I i didn't think it was i thought it was that no 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 uh, he pulls out the wallet and he says yep no that's his, this is the man who assaulted me he had O'Bannon. his yeah o'bannon yep it was the man who assaulted oh, him. Okay. Uh, I, like thought, he I, I, I thought it was we saw it was a different name. Okay. And it makes yeah, Dave Batista and his name. The, it, um, uh, M. Night having to explain stuff. In yeah. Movies, so yeah. And it's like it makes Dave Batista sort of question his faith. But then he ultimately like dies five minutes later. So like it doesn't. Oh, oh 
Oh, retroactively, speaking of Batista, right? Something that I did, did, did this call to mind. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But like one thing that drove me crazy is that when they lock Batista in the bathroom, I'm sorry, <laughs> it's Dave Batista. I'm shooting his legs or something. You don't just like throw him in the bathroom and think that he won't escape or like that nigga will walk through the walls like Kool-Aid man. Like there is no thing in that house that's going to hold him back. There's also a window in the bathroom at the same time and it's like there's also windows all over the house so they kept like blocking those doors i'm like these people really want to get in like blocking these doors i, I had that much. thought but i think mean, that was one of those moments where the the filmmaking craft did the heavy lifting and made sure. you not think not maybe not care about that um but uh, i do like the moment where like they uh, when they block uh batista in the bathroom they hear a crash and they open the door and they see that the window's been broken and they clearly take a, a beat and go, there's no way that big ass motherfucker is going through that window. <laughs> like, you know, he's got to be still in here. Yeah, I will say on the ID thing. Well, I, like like you were saying earlier about them, uh, him like driving away after he sees the thing in the diner and wondering like, hey, would this have happened anyway? Like, I'm never really going to know. Like, I, I I do like it ending on that ambiguous note. And at the same time, like, you know, what what actually brought these people together I don't think like I, I don't I, I do appreciate that we don't necessarily get an explicit stance that, yes, this was absolutely like an apocalypse that they themselves averted. And who knows, like maybe it's just by chance that this guy ended up there. But I think one thing we didn't touch on a ton again was the fact that they did make the choice to like, I guess it, I guess that's straight from the book, but they kept it that way, that this is about a gay couple and he was a victim of a hate crime. And, you know, at a certain point, I think it's interesting that like it speaks to some kind of fear that he they are having to live with that like other people don't necessarily just have inherently in that way. And I think like that's part of the like the the paranoia that was like playing into like him just, you know, what what he thought this might be because of that aspect of his life. That's something that's like, you know, a little more informed by the character. And we're talking about like ways we were trying to find entryways in his character. And I think that's one where it's like he's had to be a little more cynical about the world because of going through something like that or cynical, paranoid. I guess there could be a couple of different ways of looking at how he's seeing the world, but like that kind of informs how he's seeing things a little different than uh, than what Eric is. And at the, at, at the same time, I guess I'll just say I, I, I kind of appreciated the choice to have Eric be skeptical of O'Bannon in that way and how these people might have come together. I mean, yeah, it's probably something where they really did have some kind of vision, but I, I like I like the way it was kind of left up to chance. Like maybe you don't see what's in that car at the end, uh, and then that 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 lets you think even more. But I think like oh, even oh, I should point out that the ID thing is before the car. He goes to he goes to O'Bannon's dead body while they're at the cabin, and then he pulls out his wallet and he says, "Nope, this is this this was the, it was the guy." And then he throws the ID over to Dave Batista. Oh, okay. And then later, like the car, like when he sees it, like in like um the overhead or whatever it's just to reveal that the car was owned by o'bannon oh okay i Which, guess i <laughs> why uh like i mean it's one of those things where like revealing that information that it was o'bannon at all like i think doesn't really add that much um and i i don't know like it's one of those things there's one of those confusing confounding why would you do it that can't help but detract a little bit from the narrative for me ultimately still a fan ultimately do like the ambiguity of the ending even if it is a different form of ambiguity than the book one, one thing I, I i did kind of appreciate was just like when when they did show up to the house and like how then they, they were I, I liked how they were trying to convince them that they weren't doing a hate crime 
I, I thought that was kind of interesting as you were trying to get to the bottom of who those people were. And they were just like, oh, so I, we swear we didn't know you were gay. And that is something that they have to worry about. And there's that. Well, I think that that's one of those moments where like the M. Night humor, I think, ultimately worked for me. But also it's like the Seinfeld joke where it's like, not that yeah, there's yeah, it's, it's pretty much that. And like, I don't know, like it, it's one of those things where like, I think the it, it might I'm not, not sure. Where, I, yeah, I don't know whether it sits well for me, considering how he treats the gay relate, how he portrays the gay relationship. I, I don't know. Like if that's a, that's an aspect of the film that I'm still grappling with myself. I, I guess I the main the other the main thing I wanted to add and note about that whole entire stretch of the movie in the in the house where they are just like you know interrogating them and then harming themselves to like you know further make their point. I guess I just appreciated all the choices that kind of went into that to oh, keep you guessing, but also keep Andrew and Eric guessing in a way. Uh, and also like the thing where they kept playing stuff on the TV and he's convinced that what he's seeing is fake or whatever. Um, some might see that as M Night being a little ham fisted with like you know talking about the conspiracy theorists and fake news or whatever but like i just kind of appreciated that you never quite actually like knew for sure one way or the other for, for a lot of that like yeah i guess and because you know it's kind of a trope in like movies and tv and i was thinking about this earlier in just any kind of movie or tv show someone walks into the room to where there's a tv and it's talking to someone else and like turn on the tv now and they turn on the tv and it's right at the point where the newscast is just about to start to say the exact thing that needs to be conveyed and so i i you know that's just, it's just a thing that it's just, it's a device in lots of movies and shows so i thought it was interesting here where it's like oh well in theory, like, who, what do we know about this house? Actually, it's just like some kind of Airbnb. They showed up in that these people are claiming to have a specific vision of like, yeah. And these people don't seem like they're spending that much time necessarily watching the TV while they were there. Like maybe something could have been up where they like, you know, pre-plan what was showing up on the TV, like crazier things have happened in movies that like, it would not take that much suspension of disbelief to like, you know, get to that point. So I guess I just kind of appreciated how they, how they kept us like unsure about what these people's true intentions were, especially when it's like, yeah, does this woman look like a mom to a kid? Does this guy look like a second grade teacher? But at the same time, all those performances that I just want to reiterate were like really good and like made you honestly buy that these people just like weren't quite bad guys, but like were capable of doing bad things. Yeah. And actually it's kind of funny because like critic um, Adam Naiman, he had like, he noted that like the television as like a news delivery device is like a common trope in like, M. Night's movies, like most oh, really? famously, like signs, like the, yeah. um, you know, first sighting of the alien or whatever at like the birthday party would be one. Um, but it, it, by the way, like it's just, I'm kind of am reminded a little bit when we talk about the ending um, and how it sits with us. I'm kind of reminded of Richard Brody's review in the New Yorker where he views this as like anti resistance cinema in that um, he's like, you know, basically it's acquiescing to like hope and non-believers and and bowing down to fundamentalists or whatever <laughs> and i, I and, think it's a, i don't know that I, that I don't i think that's a you know off base review but also i i i don't know thinking of it over i'm like i don't think there's anything within the film itself that tells you that it's not that right because at the end of the day it is a bunch of seemingly crazy people being consistently proven like like kind of vindicated i mean it's ultimately ambiguous but it's not saying that they're wrong so right, no, what does yeah, that yeah, yeah, say no, about... I, think, I think you can lean towards them like having some kind of point but like you know it's just i think I it's guess... a little disingenuous to look at the yeah, m night yeah. movie and come with to that conclusion but I, it's one of those things where like textually uh or i think even subtextually there's nothing in the film that disputes that yeah, interpretation right. 
It's 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 one of those interesting ones that like almost took the wind out of the movie for me, but at the same time, like I really like the film. Yeah. Uh, and he's um, been like, on that. Brody's been on a tip lately, so you know what's wrong with Richard Brody. Well, honestly, this is this is like typical him, <laughs> <laughs> to, to, in my opinion. All right. Well, I I think every I think we all agree that this is definitely like worth checking out, even if it seems like uh, we enjoyed it to various degrees. I I'm probably a little I I guess I don't know. Maybe I'm a little closer to Daniel than I am to Josh. But like I was not bored. I had a good time. Uh, oh, let me be clear here, by the way. I'm at like a three point five, maybe a four. So. Yeah, I know. I, I'm just saying I'm 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 probably more there than like going all the way to four and a half. Like, you know, uh, I it's just because like, you know, I am like at that level maybe with, you know, with with like split and six cents and uh, unbreakable. So it's like I got I, I got to go somewhere less than that for this for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, Josh, anything else you've been watching recently you'd like to direct the listeners to? Okay, okay. Like, since I've had my leg injury, I've been able to, like, watch a lot of movies as of late. Just, like, the highlights, I guess, I'll give you. I'm getting into the work of John Sayles, famous independent filmmaker who uh, wrote a lot of screenplays as well. Uh, But, like, I would suggest anyone to watch uh, Lone Star. has an early McConaughey performance. And it's just a very interesting, very layered uh, um, script about like a community set at this border town and it's like this mystery that unfolds and then another one I would give you that I've watched that I really loved is I know I'm late to the party on this one but Love and Basketball uh, that's a, a really really great um, uh, romantic movie and and just like a very like you could see the personal DNA that Jean and Price Bifewood if you know about her backstory that she puts into the movie those are like the last two like really great movies i saw aside from knock at the cat what's weird is i feel like i've i've only ever seen parts of love and basketball i don't know if i've ever watched it the whole way through and i i really like um i really like beyond the lights so i feel like i would probably like that daniel uh anything else you've been watching recently you want to direct us to uh well actually i have conversely not been watching a ton of movies i'm not really sure why i think i've just been in a uh you know once you get to 701 year i guess you get a little bit burnt out you know but uh, the day that we saw Knock at the Cabin, we went back to JB's and we put in the 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 my shiny, uh, I think vinegar syndrome or no 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 uh, arrow Blu-ray for Willie Dynamite, uh, a black exploitation film about a pimp who finds himself on the outs with his fellow pimps, with the cops, with the social worker who is determined to bring down his pimp empire. Um, it's a black exploitation film from I believe 1973, 1974, and while it sounds like just a you know genre exercise where like you're looking at how cool this guy is, um, it ultimately becomes a sort of subversion of the entire like con- popular conception of the genre. It is a film about how black people get find themselves in these sorts of positions where they have to they're they're forced to sort of do terrible things to sort of survive because that's the only thing that they're allowed to because the alternatives are either working with a system and being complicit in it or just suffering. I think that it's a very powerful movie to be honest. I think that it is very interesting, features a bunch of great performances. And uh, it's got, you know, some great music, Martha Reeves singing uh, a couple tracks off of that soundtrack. I think that it's genuinely one of the best films to come out of that movement, um, directed by Gilbert Moses, who 
you know, it was a black director. I, I believe it was his black. Sc- uh, he wrote the script too, right? Uh, it is uh, no two two guys. I don't by know Ron Cutler and Joe Keys. Uh, well, one of them is white, <laughs> but I will say that with this era of films, um, I do think that there's a very clean delineation between the films where black people were, you know, part of the creative team behind it, and the ones that were just entirely white. Yeah, usually the ones directed by black filmmakers usually like are incorporating like more Marxist, uh, like socio-political commentary about like community and stuff like that. Um, on the ones that they've directed uh, compared to the other ones, right? Um, I, it's a it's an era of filmmaking that I really do have a lot of affinity for, and this is I think one of the best examples of it. I can't recommend it enough. And finally, I do have to, you know, give give a little bit of love to Big Jim because I went to rewatch Avatar 2 uh, for my Valentine's Day watch and uh, better than I thought it was the first time around, I will say. Like, I think that thematically mm. it's just a, it works a lot more thematically. It's a lot more cohesive uh, than I had originally given it credit for. I feel like maybe like just you know following along with the plot going like okay where are they going with this where are they going with this where are they going with this kind of i don't know maybe like gave me the wrong sort of mind space for the film uh because yeah i think that all this stuff about like adapting to change um how mercurial the mercurial nature of life and family i i found it to be very resonant um i found it to be very well structured to be honest with you i know that big jim doesn't get a lot of credit for being a screenwriter including from me but i think that it really does come through here it's far more interesting than the very traditional narrative of the first film even if it doesn't have the same uh, i guess clean cleanliness the one complaint i still have is that you know it is like a first part of a larger story so a lot of the character stuff i find a little bit underwhelming i think the materials in particularly is very underserved by the material but ultimately it's a it's a fucking really rip roaring good time um with a lot more depth than i had originally given it credit for and uh yep solid hour of action at the end too all right. I don't have a ton to recommend myself because I uh, I just I, I have also not been watching a lot lately. I I guess I would say at some point, assuming uh, Josh's leg allows, he'll be going to see Magic Mike's Last Dance soon. I saw it in theaters. I think I saw it in a more ideal theater setting than Josh will be because I saw it on its first Friday night with like uh, probably at least half full, probably slightly more than half full theater. That was probably I don't know, 80% uh, women that were, you know, a couple drinks in. So just a, <laughs> just, a, just, a, just a fun atmosphere in which you see that movie, which is definitely, I, I think it's better than its reviews are giving it credit for, but definitely not as good as its two predecessors. But there's not a ton of shame in that because those are basically in very different ways, almost perfect movies, in my opinion. Uh, this, this, this new one, just not quite that. A lot of fair critiques out there, but like I would be lying if I wasn't saying I had a smile on my face the whole time I was watching it. So that's not a bad way to spend two hours. But that, I think that's about it for today. Uh, before you head out of here, uh, if you want to follow Daniel on uh, Letterbox, it's Felonious Funk. Though I was, I was like looking that up to be able to say that, guys. I don't actually know where it shows like a Letterbox. Oh, yeah, it's, it's only in the URL. But yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, if you want to follow Daniel on Letterbox, Felonious Funk. If you want to follow Josh, it's JKB1626 uh, and Brown Film Collective on Instagram. Right, Josh? Yep. And uh, as usual, I'm Josh Jernavoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y on Twitter and Letterbox. Podcast Twitter is at Movie Pod. Podcast email is RealOnMoviePod at gmail.com. Coming up next on the podcast, 
Uh, not a hundred percent sure. We'll have something with someone on Ant-Man and the Wasp. Unfortunately, uh, Maya is going to miss a second straight Marvel podcast, but we will figure out a guess for that one way or the other. Like I said, maybe something on magic, Mike, and, uh, depending on the order in which you put this out, when you be listening, when you're listening to this, you might not have yet heard one we have coming on a man called Otto and Puss in Boots, the last wish that Daniel and Joe joined for. So plenty of stuff to keep an eye out for. Thanks to everyone for listening. Thanks to Josh and Daniel for joining me. We'll see you next time.